Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't joined our wonderful marketing transformation community yet, go to innovabiz.co and collect your free gift as well. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. One of the key skills of negotiation in any context is developing a curiosity about the other side. Uh, And so when you do that and when you learn the art of questioning and of preparation, you begin to understand what, what they value, which may be different from what you value, which then becomes an opportunity because what you can do then is to trade the things that they want that you're not so concerned about, even though you're in opposition. Uh, And in in exchange for that, using my very favorite word negotiation, which is the word if, everything connects, then you trade that for the things that you want. And if you make that trade successfully, then you're both better off. It's the same idea as comparative advantage in trade. It's not a new idea, um, but it is something we don't do enough. And so that way you create value, make the pie bigger, as we say, and everyone's better off. Welcome back. I hope you've had an awesome week so far. If you haven't listened yet to my recent conversations with Patrick Laverne of the Sales Champ Academy and the CEO of the Evolve Group, Gareth Chandler, then do go check them out. But stay here first, listen into today's conversation before you head off into those others. I'm really excited today to have on the Innova Buzz podcast as my guest. Mark Young of Rational Games, where he teaches business negotiation to diplomats, to senior business leaders, and other professionals. And he does that by means of playful methods. He also uses the proceeds of what they earn to support projects that use games and play to resolve conflict. Mark started his career with two large and famous American banks, neither of which exist anymore. Hmm. He then had postings at McKinsey and Company and as a trade negotiator in the US government, followed by a partner in charge of privatization at Pricewaterhouse Corporate Finance in Germany. Since 2001, he's the founder and president of Rational Games Inc., a boutique consulting company focused on playful negotiation. In our conversation today, Mark talked to me about negotiating to create value for all stakeholders. We talked about getting clear on the assumptions we are making, and we discussed why games and play are so powerful. Without further ado then, let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Mark Young. Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast today from Berlin in Germany, 
Mark Young, who's the president and founder of Rational Games. Welcome to the Innova Buzz podcast, Mark. It's a great privilege to have you here as my guest. Thank you. It's wonderful to be invited, and I'm looking forward to a good conversation. Thomas Lantala, who was our guest on episode 431 of the Innova Buzz podcast, he suggested that we have a conversation with you, Mark, and he also introduced us. So big hello to Thomas. Hello, Thomas. Thanks for the recommendation. Now, you have a fascinating business where Rational Games, it's called, which teaches business negotiation to a whole variety of people right across the board from senior business leaders to diplomats and politicians and other professionals. And you do that, as the name suggests, through playful methods, but seriously strategic playful methods. So I'm really fascinated to dig into that and how that works and how you um, how you bring people on board and how you have those negotiations bring successful outcomes today. Before we get into all those things, what's the impact you're making in the world today? Well, I, I'm just one person out of so very many. I'm not sure I'm going to uh, brag about impact, but I do think that our business is... Um, unique and that we are making a very small difference in the place where we are um, by supporting projects um, financially and also conceptually that use games and play to resolve conflict. Um, so we are a social business and social businesses do need to measure impact and we measure that as well and I'm from where I sit in this very modest place um, I feel very fulfilled by what we're doing. Hmm. Well that's great and and there is such a thing as the butterfly effect. So even though we may flap our wings a very short distance or a very short impact right there at the end of the wingtip, it does have a magnifying impact right across the world. Yeah, I like that. Nice image. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, a lot of a lot of the things you work on are around taking ideas, innovative ideas, and growing those out into playful methods where you can teach people how to negotiate in win-win scenarios. And, and there's a fascinating demonstration of this in your TED Talk where you do something very simple like getting people to hold up red and green cards. And I'm not sure what the instructions were. I wasn't quite sure what the instructions that people had on their tables that, that they had to um, check and follow. Um, but it, it certainly is a fascinating exercise. So tell us a little bit more about some of these methods you use to teach people uh, or to bring people together, first of all, and, and bring them into this mindset of working together rather than um, competing against one another in a, in a win-lose fashion. Well, we have several parts of our business, or several sides, and let me just focus on the the, the classic. Uh, we are a training and consulting company. We teach negotiation and leadership um, to business executives, to uh, diplomats, to politicians, um, and we and our philosophy is very much the collaborative win-win philosophy. It's connected to the so-called Harvard method. I was a fellow at Harvard with the people that wrote the book Getting to Yes probably the most famous book about negotiation ever written. Not the only way to negotiate, there are others. Um, we think it's the best, and so for us, there is a philosophical foundation under what we teach. It is all about building relationships, 
creating value, um, uh, having empathy for the other side, not because you're in church, not because you're doing charity work, but because you, it gets better results for everyone. Uh, and so that is what we teach philosophically. Um, and we try to do it then by showing very concrete methods of how you do that, of how do you create value. Uh, for instance, one way to create value is to, uh, is to uh, understand what you want, first of all, which is harder than it sounds in a negotiation because there's all these <laughs> trade-offs, and then understand what they want, which we're not used to. You know, we, we go through life mostly thinking about ourselves, I find. You know, what's for lunch? How am I feeling? What am I going to do this afternoon? We're not that interested in other people. And one of the key skills of negotiation in any context is, is, is developing a curiosity about the other side. Uh, and so when you do that and when you learn the art of questioning and of preparation, you begin to understand what, what they value, which may be different from what you value, which then becomes an opportunity because what you can do then is to trade the things that they want that you're not so concerned about, even though you're in opposition. Uh, and in, in exchange for that, using my very favorite word negotiation, which is the word if, everything connects, um, then you trade that for the things that you want. And if you make that trade successfully, then you're both better off. It's the same idea as comparative advantage in trade. It's not a new idea, um, but it is something we don't do enough. And so that way you create value, make the pie bigger, as we say, um, and everyone's better off. The other way is to think beyond the negotiation. Um, you know, Bill Urey, one of the two authors of Getting to Yes, um, has done a big project in recent years um, called uh, The Third Side, uh, looking at negotiation. And his claim is there is no such thing as a bilateral negotiation. It's never just you and me at the table. There's always other people affected by this that are around us, that have power, that should be consulted. And, have we thought about that? And could they help us? And are they invested in our success? And if you can think along those lines, you find all of a sudden that um, you don't need to, if I get something, it doesn't mean it comes from you. We can see who else is out there. For instance, there are often tax benefits to deals that we're doing, um, so that if we structure it in a certain way, the government is going to help us uh, close the gap that we have on price. Or it could be sponsorships that, that we pull in from private parties. Or, or all sorts of other ways, uh, success fees or contingent arrangements, all kinds of things that, uh, that, that, that look to parties outside the room to create value. And there's techniques on how to do that that we teach. Um, but it's all about creating value. It's all about making the pie bigger and then arguing about who gets what and not from the beginning assuming that the pie is fixed. And, you know, let me say a word about assumptions because they're so dangerous. We, you know, we're always making assumptions in life about all sorts of things. I'm assuming that this call will continue for an hour and won't crash. I'm assuming that, uh, you know, I will be, say something intelligent uh, for you to record. Um, you know, creativity starts when you know what your assumptions are and you question them. And one assumption that we often have in negotiation is that the pie is fixed. It's the Donald Trump assumption. You know, I have a big piece and you have a small piece. So I win and you lose. Or we think that negotiation is like is like soccer. You know, I hit a goal, you don't. I have a point, you don't. I win, you lose. But maybe negotiation is not like soccer. Maybe it's more like a dance. Maybe it's more a situation where I make a move, you make a move, we connect, we have fun, we, we get to know each other, and we're both better than we were before. So getting away from the win-lose mentality to win-win through creativity and through questioning assumptions 
is the heart of what I teach. Um, and the rest is, is, is mechanics. But that's the philosophy. That's the way we think. Mm, mm, that's, that's fantastic. So thanks for highlighting that and clearing up some of those misconceptions around. I mean, I like the idea of we make assumptions all the time and being cognizant of those assumptions is a start to take a step back from defending our position and being entrenched in a position taking a step back from that and looking at well, what are the options how can how can this work for all of us why do you think as humans we all start off with this position of um let's say the soccer example i want to win this game we're all competitive um, but for me to win soccer or, or let's say it's tennis because one-on-one you and i can play tennis so i want to win at tennis but for me to win at tennis in the game with you means you have to lose why why is that our default position in all kind of interactions it's i i don't know i'm not a, I, i'm not an ethnologist um but it is it's certainly true that that the urge to win is is very very strong i mean you don't you can see it in children you see it in adults um i see it all the time in seminars if you play any kind of a game, even if it's an absurd game with nothing terribly important at stake, people immediately get competitive and they immediately are absolutely geared to winning. They get, the word winning is, is a very strong word, whatever it means. Um, the TED Talk that I did that you referred to tried to go beyond that and said that the title of it was The Urge to Play is Greater Than the Urge to Fight. Um, and I think by redefining play, um, which I think is a deep primeval need in people, uh, all people. Um, beyond the win-lose, I win, you lose paradigm, um, you unlock other parts of the brain, I think other parts of, 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 of our experience that um, enable everyone to enjoy and have a good time and, and succeed. Just like there are many games that are win-lose, they're constructed that way, uh, other games are not. I mean. Uh, uh, James Karst, in a wonderful book, um, talks about finite and infinite games. Uh, and we try to, in, in his language, we try to move beyond a finite game, which is a winner and a loser, to an infinite game, um, which uh, means that everyone has a chance, everyone's part of it, everyone enjoys, and there's no limit um, to what we can um, achieve. Uh, so you can use that competitive urge, which is in, built in, there's nothing wrong with it, um, it's created a lot of value in the world, but you use that in a way that is not destructive or that does not require losers. Uh, and, and that's a philosophy that I've come to more and more in, later in life, I guess. Um, I started out as well in a very competitive environment. I was a banker, I was a consultant, working for brand name companies and a trade negotiator. Um, so I, I do know a little bit about winning and losing. Um, but um, as you get older, you get more mellow and you get more philosophical about things and I increasingly question the word win. What does it mean? Um, and try to redefine it in a way that doesn't put me, does it, that's not at the expense of other people. Yeah, yeah, well that's, I mean that's a real philosophical question, isn't it? What does what does winning mean and how, how can we do that in a way that it's not one person winning at the expense of somebody else, which is certainly the Donald Trump method. Um, he wins everybody. Everybody else doesn't lose. 
doesn't just lose, they get destroyed. <laughs> right. Kind of the extreme. But um, politics aside, the idea of bringing people along and, and even for things like the social good, I mean, we, you know, we're in this environment now where there's lots of conversations around COVID and how to best deal with COVID going forward. Do, do we require everyone to be vaccinated? Do we require mask wearing in certain situations? And people are seeing that as black and white and a win-lose situation where we're faced with a climate crisis and there's you know ongoing conversations there which are entrenched positions and on one or other side of that conversation and yet you know that's that's a win-lose scenario if if we don't get it right uh, the planet loses humanity loses so how, how again how do we start to take steps to change this mindset and, and go into conversations around whether it's politics, whether it's a business negotiation, whether it's climate change or COVID conversations that that bring that empathy with everybody's for everybody's point of view and bring kind of everybody along and say let's let's create a better future for all of us. I don't know. I mean, again, it's very philosophical. Um, the key is compassion. I really do think that it's, it's, it's the key is being open to other people and what they're experiencing and, 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 and understanding it and wanting to change it. Um, whether it's in the climate change context or it's COVID or many other things that we're facing. Um, once you get, once you let go of the win lose uh, template, um, and once you see other people not as someone to defeat, but as someone to uplift, and I'm not saying it's in a religious sense, really, but it's it's really a more abstract. Um, then you see different things. You you realize that you know we can go beyond this paradigm of us too and think bigger, you know, and think about humanity as a whole. And you know, it all sounds very save the world uh, idealistic, but I, I just think that you that you'd want to transcend the simple ideas of I win, you lose. And you can do that in, you can start, I think it's fascinating because you can start mm -hmm. in business negotiation. I mean, I'm a very hard-headed business negotiator. I was a trade negotiator in the U.S. government. I, I, I did a lot of deals at Press Waterhouse um, in, uh, in strategic partnerships. I mean, I'm no stranger to the world of, of, of business. Um, but I think if you start there and realize that in that context, you can still do things that go beyond win-lose and that uplift people and, and that create value for all. If you realize you can do it there, um, then you start to think beyond that segment or that, that worldview and think, well, what can we do in a larger sense um, to make the world a little bit better? And that's where our business is perhaps a little different because we are a social business. Um, we have a couple of identities, or two in, in general. On, on the one hand, rationalgames.com. We are consulting, training, and coaching. We teach negotiation to very serious, serious people. Um, and like many, many others, um, using playful methods makes us a little different. But on the other side, we are also a registered nonprofit in the United States and in Germany, where I live, um, because we set aside a large portion of proceeds um, to support projects that use games and play to resolve conflict. So it's a bit of a Robin Hood idea what we're doing. Um, we're using games and play to teach negotiation to senior people in the business world, but then we're turning around and using a large portion of the, the, the money, but also the expertise that comes from that 
to support things that use games and play in the um, nonprofit world. We started with things like soccer in Africa for kids from different tribes coming together, learning fair play, learning how to, uh, through a game, to, 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 to see each other differently. Um, we do sports projects in Germany. We have an ice hockey project in, in Berlin for kids from the streets uh, to, instead of knifing each other on the streets, they play hockey, ice hockey, and they have a league and they, and they celebrate victories using a win-lose game, which is hockey, still in a way that uplifts everyone. Um, we uh, do theater projects, we do dance, we do music. Um, we have grantees that are involved in bringing Jewish and Palestinian musicians together um, to, to make music together. It's the great connector of mankind. Um, anything playful in our world, and our, our definition of playful is, has increased over the years or widened. Um, it's anything that is played, which is music or dance or theater or sport, um, that brings people together. Um, and that is how we've gone beyond classic negotiation um, and tried to apply these things to something that matters, something that is in the, in the wider sense. Um, and that's what I'm very proud of. That's, 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 why, that's our why in Simon Sinek's language. That's what we do. We, we want to connect conflict resolution with, with, with negotiation uh, and, and, and with uh, philanthropy. Um, so actually, you know, um, uh, I know you're all about innovation on this program and, and creativity. Um, you know, uh, Steve Jobs says, it said very simply that creativity is simply connecting things. And we're connecting, and that's maybe, it's, it's a simple idea, but it's maybe different. We're connecting three things. We're connecting negotiation in a hard-headed business way with um, gamification, which means that we make games out of things and we, we're playful, and with philanthropy, using the um, results of that to better the world. And that combination of the three, I think, is unique. I don't know of anyone else that does it like that. And that's perhaps what makes us interesting for our clients and for our grantees. So I really like what you've done. You've taken the serious world of business and negotiation that happens in that world, which is a pretty serious thing at times, and brought playfulness into that so that people can learn through play how to have win-win situations out of their negotiation. Then you've taken the skills from that, turned that around, taken play into other serious situations, but used play as the medium rather than the tool to train to bring people together. Um, so you're essentially doing the same thing, for it, but from a different angle in the philanthropy work. And of course, using the skills, leveraging the skills that you build in the business world. So it's it's really connecting dots in almost five dimensions. It came to us over time. It wasn't a, there wasn't a game plan in the beginning. We didn't really know what we were doing. Um, but like so many things, I've stumbled from one thing to the next, and it all makes sense to me now. Well, um, I think that's, that's innovation in terms of looking at connecting dots forward. When, when you look back and say, well, here's how it all fits together, it makes a lot of sense. And anybody can say, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I would have done it that way too. But when you don't, when it's a blank sheet of paper and you're connecting the dots going forward, I think that's where the innovation is. I was just going to say that it's all about, you know, I don't want to be esoteric, but it's, a, you know, the universe brings you things and you've got to be open to it. And if you're open to it without really knowing where it's going to go, um, that's when exciting things happen, I've learned. 
Um, so there's not always a game plan at, at, at point zero as to where you're going to go. You just grasp an opportunity and, and go with it and see where it takes you. Now, you've just been involved in helping with the negotiations for the new German government, I believe. And um, I'm really curious, how do you go into something like that where you know, the stakes are fairly high, I would imagine, and and people have entrenched positions from a philosophical and, oh, what's the right word, from a from a political, but it's kind of like, it's almost an entrenched position because that's part of their value system. How do you approach facilitating negotiations in that sort of an environment? And what sort of games can you bring to play there with um, fairly influential politicians? I can't say a whole lot in gen specifically about that negotiation for confidentiality reasons, but um, we spent about a year working with one of the parties uh, and training not only the people who were going to negotiate, but the people who were preparing them to negotiate, which was a total of about 200 people. And we, in a series of seminars, um, we sort of drilled them on these methods, on the Harvard method and, and using um, some of our classic games. We have a game called Red Blue, which you referred to, which we used on the TED Talk, which is about collaboration versus cooperation, where they begin to see the value of, of, of cooperation, even if you don't like the other side, even if your ideology is different, that there's value to be had by, by, by cooperating. And then we do ridiculous games like the, the famous Sally Swan song, Negotiation at Harvard, where the opera singer is negotiating her final role. And you'd be amazed at how people get into something like that. You can have very senior politicians that are very happy to play the opera diva. It makes, it's fun because it unlocks something in people. They want to have fun. They, they want to, to play. And as they do that, they realize that there are interests that are not only rational, but there are interests that are emotional, uh, and that that's just as important. And so you get away from arguing about who's right uh, and, and, and who has the, the lock on the ideology and sort of a more holistic look at people and how to reach them and connect with them and and, and bring value to them and bring value to yourself in the process. And that's um, a very different way of thinking. And we do it by stealth. You know, we do it because yeah. we're teaching negotiation, right? We're teaching you how to negotiate. Everyone gets that. So we're teaching negotiation, but really we're also teaching a different view of the world, I think, uh, that goes well beyond what we're doing here. And that worked well in this case because um, I was also involved four years ago in the last round of failed negotiations for the German government. And the issue there was ideology. You had parties that were very doctrinaire. We had, you know, everyone was giving speeches about what their positions were in the Harvard language and not so much about what their interests were. And so just getting them off that level from, from who's right and which position is correct and down to why is this so important. And then I've done a lot of work in recent years, sort of thinking about the difference between interests and values. Uh, working with nonprofits, you, you run into a lot of uh, militancy people that are very convinced of, of their values, and, and I respect that. But uh, militancy only takes you so far. Uh, and if you can learn to negotiate interests and separate them from values, be, be firm on your values, be firm on what you stand for, but realize that there's a lot of ground, first to find shared values with, other, with the other side, which is what good mediators do, but also that you can 
If you look at interest, you often find, if you're skilled at it, that there's lots of room for connection. Uh, and when you see that, for instance, and I can't say this in, in the government negotiations, um, the divide has always been, over decades, there is the right and there's the left. There's the conservative Catholic, there's the social democrat, there's the green, there's the, now we have the far right, and we have the far left, the former communists. Everybody has their own playbook, uh, and we're all competing with each other. What happened in this election, and, and, and one of the largest um, disconnects is between the Free Democrats, which is the Liberal Party, which is very pro-business, and the Greens, um, who are ecology and so on, and, and they have a real disconnect culturally between each other. Um, but what we learned in this election was that age mattered. They found in analysis afterwards that there was a very large gap between the older people voting for the traditional two big parties, the, the, the conservatives and the social democrats, but the younger people voted heavily for both the Greens and the Free Democrats um, because they saw them as younger and more and more full of ideas. And so I think the, the breakthrough in this particular case, and, and we're, we're, we're inaugurating this team today, it's a, it's a big day in Germany because as I speak, um, the chancellor is being sworn in. But these two very quickly figured out that even if they don't like each other that much, there's a lot of common ground because they're young and they're dynamic and they want the economy to go forward and they want to use business methods to achieve good things. And one of them is more interested in digitalization, the other one's more interested in climate change. But, you know, that isn't necessarily in competition. It's all about how we get there. And so they quickly realized that they, they would be stronger, you know, hard-headed uh, power negotiations by getting together. And so the two little parties got together and turned out they were bigger than the big parties. And that created a power shift. And um, it was based on shared values and based on empathy and based on the stuff that we teach. Um, so I view it as a success, what we've done. We'll see what happens. Um, you know, it's all in writing. There's a 177-page document that, that they're supposed to follow. I'm not sure. You're never sure how much that's worth. Um, and there certainly will be bumps in the road ahead. But I view it as, as a real new beginning for this country. And I'm very, very proud to have had a very small role in, in helping that. Hmm. Well, I think it's a, it's a great model for any negotiation there to look at what, what are the shared values and what are the shared interests as a per, and, and looking at it from the point of view of how do you see these things and uh, from the point of view of the other person to have that empathy and then look at the bigger picture in terms of what can we achieve together. I think you know that, that can play out in so many other roles. And if you think of some of the I mean, some of the fascinating stories or um, movies or series, series is probably the, the more thing. I, I, I'm not a um, Game of Thrones. I don't know much about Game of Thrones, but it, it's just one from what I've heard and what I've spoken to somebody that studied it and ha uses it for lessons in business. But my understanding of that and, and ones that I actually do follow is there's lots of shifting allegiances over time in these things where people get together and okay today I'm going to be with you and we're going to work for this particular outcome and and there are other people that are not in support of that outcome and two episodes down down the track 
uh, all of a sudden that breaks up and then the two parties end up aligning with other people for another outcome. So there's shifting attitude, or not shifting attitudes, but there's shifting um, environmental, the outside environment or mm-hmm. situation that, or context that, that brings about a change in people and in their allegiances and, and who they work with. And so we have the ability to do that. It's just doing it in a strategic way and doing it in a way that it's not a win-lose for certain people. It's a, it's a win for everybody, or at least, you know, that's what our aim is, is, is something that we can probably learn. Well, you know, you're going to, this tracks what's happened in organizational behavior. And if you look at companies, I mean, 20, 30 years ago, it was very much marketing, sales, production, you know, the silos in a company and, 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 and you're big and I'm small. And it was all fairly classic. And, and one of the things I learned at McKinsey years ago was, you know, you move from that to something more flexible. It's project based, you know, mm. so instead of having a, you know, a, a team of 200 that does sales, um, you create a small team that's interdisciplinary around a project, a project launch or, or a particular um, challenge. Uh, and they get together and they organize themselves and under very different principles and they hopefully succeed and then they disband and then someone else is formed. So, so you're creating these, these little organisms, um, depending on what the market wants you to do, um, that are flexible, that are agile in, our, in today's language, um, and that do not depend on structured, permanent, um, ways of communicating. Um, and, and that's what you're talking about here as well. I mean, beyond the organization, that's how we think. You know, we think in terms of flexible uh, approach to problems. So what do we do about climate change? How do we organize for that? How do we negotiate that? And, and then, you know, but if, it, if we're doing something else, what about COVID? And what about maybe something smaller than those two? Um, but how do we, how do we equip ourselves to form the right teams with the right expertise from different sides of the or different different parts of the society to come together and, and, and create the value of of tackling this problem, whether it's Middle East peace as well or, or just some smaller things. You know, you're doing a I don't know, when I'm when I'm doing a, a launch of e learning on in, in my company, you know, I need to have a team um, that knows how to do that, you know, and it's not me. Uh, and so that's one of the things we learned in COVID was how can you teach online? I always thought you can't um, because it's we teach interactively and it's very practical and negotiation requires personal connection and you can't do that online. So we talked about e-learning for years and said it was really important, but it's too expensive and it's too difficult. We didn't do it. When COVID hit, my team got together, five of them out of, out of the, our group. In three weeks, they put together a Zoom seminar which works really well. And we've done it now a hundred times around the world in 37 countries um, because um, they applied their knowledge to that particular problem in a way that um, created the value for that problem without worrying so much about the traditional structures. So that's maybe that is one place where this kind of thinking helps you in business, but beyond business also in 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 philanthropy as well. Mm. Yeah, that's that's a great example of the online learning. And I know I've gone through an exercise with a client 
just transitioning her program to online learning and it's the same type of thing it's a very experiential uh, program she'd always done it in person does a fabulous job um, but of course necessity is the mother in, of invention so <laughs> now it's an online program um what can we do i mean we've talked about kind of polit politics at a high level we've talked about world peace you just mentioned the conflict in the middle east world peace we've talked about solving climate change we've talked about um, dealing with covid uh, what can we do in terms of a practice and and skills at a very safe level that's just a little thing but that starts to get us into the right mindset and practicing the skills that we can then take into some more serious situations where we might need to be negotiating along the lines of how can we do this together how can we all win together um i've sort of picked a medium-sized problem um to work on which is very very relevant in germany which um lends itself to this thinking and that's the refugee crisis mm. which in in europe is is a very all over the world is a big thing but especially in germany um because from Merkel, bless her heart, you know, very generously opened her heart and said in improv language, yes, we can, or yes, and, and, and we, we have about a million refugees, um, in Germany. And this is not a terribly open place. Germany is a, an older, more traditional society. Um, and so there's a lot of, a lot of suffering there. How do you integrate these people? How do you bring them in? How do you, uh, how do you prevent crime? Um, and so we've been involved a lot in refugee projects, um, personally, you know, just, just, mm. just, you know, getting to know people, sponsoring them. Um, I did a seminar last night for refugees, um, and their, and the, and the people that work with them. We played the red blue game together. Um, so it was an example of how you can, you know, um, take a problem like that and, 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 and do something. You know, you, you've got to have an idea, but then you have to do something. You have to act. Yeah. And so that's one way that we found that we can act. And, and I found, again, talking about framing and limits and assumptions, um, you know, the word refugee or the German word is Flüchtling, which means someone who flees, um, is a very negative word. You know, you're running away, you're afraid, you're, you're not brave. You're, and so, I, I see it differently that, uh, you know, we supported a project last year called Ideas in Motion. And the idea was that a refugee is not running away. The refugee is bringing ideas and moving them from Syria to Germany, let's say. Um, and that's something that's a benefit to Germans. They need that. Germans need new ideas from Syria. They really do. Um, and so looking at refugees as carriers of ideas that we haven't thought of, um, that, you know, I think is a very different way of looking at the whole issue. That it's not a threat, it's not something that's going to destroy our civilization, but it's it's an enrichment. And when you do that, then all of a sudden you can have a lot of fun playing games and and uh, and integrating and and so on. We use sports a lot to integrate. We use capoeira, which is a, a Brazilian fight dance um, where we bring Germans and and refugees together. And you'd be amazed how you know it's it's so it's so primeval that under all the culture and under all the issues. People love to play. They love to do sport together. Um, and they connect in a way that's totally nonverbal. It's a total, it, it's, it's human connection at a very basic level. And we can do that right here in Berlin in the neighborhood, two miles away from here. And, and 
we've tried to. So, so that's, I think, a very practical, very concrete way. Not that we've solved the problem, but but uh, we've done some interesting things there, uh, both financially and then also ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think the, I, I love the idea of human connection and bringing it back to what we all have in common. And if you think about, well, soccer was one you, you mentioned earlier. I mean, it is the World Cup of soccer is the biggest event on the planet. Every, you can go to any country in the world almost and people will follow it and what religiously watch the games on TV, even if their own country is not represented. So that's something that almost everyone on the planet has in common. And you can talk about music, you can talk about dance and play, obviously, is, is the other mm -hmm. thing. So finding that human connection through that element, I think, is so important. And yeah, the, I like the idea of reframing refugees as, as bringing something new, bringing new ideas. Um, we have we have a double side issue here in Australia. I mean, I'm a, a, a migrant from Germany to Australia, and so as I was growing up in in my youth and through growing up, it was a very anti-migrant. Um, society and yet over the last 30 or 40 years Australian society has evolved and transformed simply because of the influence of the migrants that have come from all kinds of different countries and at the, at the other end of the equation of course is the indigenous population of Australia that is the oldest living human culture on the planet and yet they're, they're being oppressed and they're having all sorts of issues because of the, um, yeah, the original European occupiers of the land who, who now lay claim to being the, the owners, uh, uh, the, the same ones that kind of were the anti, anti immigrant population. They're, they're kind of pushing back on the other side. So there's, there's, you know, two sides of that that you can say, well, both of those, um, both of those elements that are being marginalised have huge contributions to make to the, the fabric of Australia and yet um, not, you know, they're being hampered in doing so. Well, you know, the philosopher Hannah Arendt wrote a, a seminal essay called We're All Refugees Now. <laughs> yeah. And the point is that it's true. I mean, I'm a refugee. My, my mother comes from Silesia, which was mm. uh, Germany is now Poland. She fled, literally fled with suitcases through the forest when the Russians came. I mean, and she told me the stories. Um, so I'm a refugee, I guess. I'm also American living in Germany. That's a refugee from mm. America in some ways. Um, but you know, it, it's not, it's a fairly common, thing. I mean, if you really, if you think about it in a wider sense, we really are all refugees from somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so why not get together and why not see how we can help? Yeah. And, and we can reframe it because there's this concept in the business world that that's called the digital nomad. So they're the people that uh, have businesses that can be run online. And in having that, it means that they can run their business from anywhere. So they're not locked into living in a certain place in order to run that business. And, and so they, uh, the digital nomad typically embraces the variety that comes from living in different places, the learning that they get from being exposed to different cultures, languages and practices and environments. And 
everybody celebrates that. Everybody rejoices and says, isn't that wonderful? You can work from anywhere. You can live anywhere you want uh, because your business allows you to do that. So why not celebrate other nomads that, that are traveling yes. the world and, and bringing that cultural exchange? Enriches us all. All right. Uh, on that note, I think it's probably a good point to move on to the buzz, which is our innovation round, and we get a little bit more uh, more practical, perhaps, rather than philosophical. It's the same five questions I ask of every guest, and the idea is that you'll share some tips from your experience to inspire the listener to do something awesome today as a result. Are you all set? I am. Yes. Do my best. What's the number one thing anyone needs to do to be more innovative? Be curious. Mm. Um, be open to new ideas and want to know more. I think that is the key. Yeah, and, and certainly in the sense of negotiation, you've highlighted that that is really important, being curious and open to the other person's point of view. Mm -hmm. All right, what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? Um, surround myself with interesting people that um, believe in our idea, that are united by the mission, um, and, le and letting them create things. Uh, you know, I'm half German, so I've got to control um, uh, part of my personality. But um, I've learned, I really have learned that if you just let go and let people shine, that they, they, they perform. And so I think it comes from creating good teams and and, and letting them shine. Hmm. So people that are aligned with your mission and and then mm -hmm. letting them do their thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you have a favorite resource you use most often? Favorite resource? Um, anything playful, anything in the gaming world, you know. I'm, I'm trying to, you know, the, the, the irony is that, you know, I'm not, I, you know, <laughs> I, it's all about games and play, but I don't really like digital games. You know, I'm not part of any of that. I don't know much about it. It, 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 it I'm interested in serious games, um, but I'd like to learn more about constructing games, making games, using games to address social issues. Hmm. Yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, the digital games. I was, um, I was just watching a report, and you, you alluded earlier that. Um, the new government in Germany is being inaugurated pretty much as we speak. And I, just before I came on the show, I was watching a telecast of, of some of that earlier. And in between that, they were um, talking about the metaverse. And, and there was this interview that somebody did with uh, somebody from Facebook or whatever they're called now. Um, and it was a digital game so that they were interviewing like you and I are here on the screen seeing one another but they weren't seeing one another they actually had avatars of each other sitting by a table and I remember saying to my wife I said what's the point of that yeah, <laughs> they, could actually, they could actually see one another I mean it doesn't it doesn't sort of add any value in my mind but yeah so that that to me is a pointless game right. Hmm. all right so games that um are practical and uh... I mean there's a whole movement in the US called serious games it's games for, for games to solve serious problems and it's a very small segment of the gaming industry which by the way is bigger than the film industry these days mm -hmm. and um, 
that's what interests me is how do you take playful methods and apply them to serious issues yeah great all right now what's the best way to keep a project on track um i think it's both good planning uh and i'm learning a lot a lot about the you know online resources for project management that i didn't know before that I do use to keep track and know what we're doing with milestones and all the rest of it. Um, but then it's letting go of it and improvising. Hmm. I think improvisation is a, is, a, is a key skill in in guiding things because we're living in an uncertain world and you cannot plan things. When I was at McKinsey, we used to have, you know, phase one, phase two, phase three, <laughs> milestones, deliverables. Can't do that anymore. You, you've got you've to be flexible. Yeah, yeah. So it's the flexibility is key, isn't it? Yeah, I remember doing some projects with McKinsey and their consultants and having lots of conversations, <laughs> negotiations around things that um, needed to be adapted to the environment, shall we say. So it, it, it was always a, a bit hard to get the flexibility introduced. All right. Uh, what's the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves? Hmm. Know your why. Hmm. Know what's driving you. You know, have a have a central idea that, that like we do with games and play, um, that you really believe in and that drives everything. I think that's the bigger differentiator than anything else. Also in the business world, and I, you know, Simon Sinek is the iconic TED talk about tell them why. I think that's really he's he's onto a very big thing there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's. It's easily said, I think a lot of people need to do a lot of work in self-reflection and really dig deep on the values. And some of that is negotiating with yourself and really understanding self. But yeah, the knowing your why is very powerful. All right. Well, thanks, Mark. This has been a fascinating conversation. We've kind of solved a lot of world problems in, in our minds. <laughs> and, and, um, covered a lot of area and learnt a lot about how play, serious play can be brought in to bring about human connection that brings the best outcomes in negotiations. So thanks for that. Now, where can people find out more about the work you do about both the uh, Rational Games business side and, and the um, not-for-profit side and maybe even get in touch and say thanks for what you shared today? So this is how I can, this is where I can do my plug. Is that what you're saying? Mm -hmm. um, I, all I would say is www.rationalgames.com. Uh, you'll see what we do, uh, you know, on, on the, on the teaching side. There's a, a monthly blog we do, which we have a lot of fun with on something to do with gamification or, or negotiation or philanthropy. Um, uh, this month we've got, we're highlighting a boxing project that we have. We never thought you could use boxing to resolve conflict, but you can. And so that's, uh, check it in, check it out. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, and happy to connect with anyone that's interested in these ideas. The TEDx talk is, uh, is a TED, the urge to play. Um, yeah, there's, those are the main things. Um, I wrote two books, which nobody needs to read. Uh, uh, it's been a while and, you know, books, books are important so you can wave them around and say, I wrote them. But <laughs> I would say these days, read the blog, um, look at the TED talk, um, uh, or have a conversation, you know, get, get in touch and, and let's, let's talk. That's more important than the book. Excellent. Okay. Well, we'll 
post links to those three places on the show notes so that people can click straight through. Now, do you have some parting advice you'd like to leave our listener with today, Mark, as we wrap up? Do something that matters. Mm. Do something that matters. I mean, figure out what your skills are, and, and, and obviously you have to make money and you have to move ahead, but you know, be sure that what you're doing is of consequence. Mm. That's, I think, the key to happiness. Yeah, that's great advice. And again, it's you've got to feel as though it matters to you, but also adds value to others. Yeah. All right. Finally, who else should I get on this podcast and why? Oh, well, you've already had Thomas, who's absolutely fabulous. Um, Bill Yuri, if you haven't connected with him, I, I can maybe connect you he, from Harvard. He's one of the authors of Getting to Yes. Yes. Very interesting. He's a, he's really thoughtful and interesting and I think would be great for this. Um, uh, I, you know, closer to me, um, the founder of Egger Phillips in, in Zurich is Uli Egger, U-E-L-I, Uli Egger. Fascinating because he created the whole European movement around the Harvard method. And he's a, he's retired now, but he's very fascinating and humorous and I think would, would be a good guest. Good friend of mine. I'm happy to connect you. And what else? Who else? I, I assume you know Craig Zelizer. Uh, this is my world. This is my conflict resolution. Yeah, yeah. Craig Zelizer is at Georgetown, um, but he now lives in Honduras or Costa Rica or somewhere with his. He's he's a, he's also a nomad, and he runs a podcast like this. But he also does a lot of. He's got a listserv called PCDN. Um, so Craig and then Zelizer, Z E L I Z E R is is also he's a change maker and he's someone that i think uh, you might enjoy talking to all right well that's great we get three for the price of one so bill yuri uli egger and craig salazar so yeah if you could introduce us that would be wonderful and we'll um, start the conversation with them and bring them on the show yes please well thanks so much for sharing your time and insights so generously with us today mark i've really enjoyed the conversation today and certainly We've had an interesting and, and perhaps a little different conversation than on some of the shows, but I think it's really um, inspiring the work you do. And also there's lots of lessons, I think, for business in what you described today. So I'm sure there'll be a lot for the listener to take away and implement. Thanks again. All the best for the future and let's stay in touch. Thank you. Honored to have been here. I hope you really got a lot out of that insightful and really value-filled conversation with Mark and took something away from his episode. I invite you now to reflect on our wide-ranging conversation and think about the many negotiations that you have every day. They might be negotiations with yourself. Will I eat that second sweet or not? With your significant other. Let's go out to my favourite restaurant today or your customers and business partners. What are the critical negotiations you'll be conducting over the next seven days? They might already be in your diary. Pick the three that first come to mind and write down a couple of ideas to bring more empathy and more curiosity into those negotiations to deliver amazing outcomes for everyone. Mark's episode can be found at innovabiz.co 
forward slash Mark Young. That is M-A-R-K-Y-O-U-N-G. All lowercase, all one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Mark Young. You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with Mark, as well as links to the Rational Games website, to Mark's social media pages, and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation today. If you've listened this far into the show, I have a challenge for you. If you've loved this conversation and you'd think it'd be useful to one other person, be brave enough to share this conversation with that one other person. You'll be doing them a favour. And my guess is that in the 500 or so other episodes that we've published up until right now, there's at least one there that is equally as valuable to you as this episode. So either pick your favourite number We'll take a 30-second glance through the past episodes and between now and the next episode, listen to one more and then write me a note on LinkedIn about which episode you picked and why and what your biggest takeaway was. Mark suggested that we have a conversation with Bill Urey, co-author of Getting to Yes, with Uli Egger of Egger Phillips and Craig Zelizer of PCDN Global on a future InnovaBuzz podcast episode. So Bill, Uli and Craig, keep an eye on your inboxes for an invitation from us to the InnovaBuzz podcast, courtesy of Mark Young. Thanks for listening. We'd love you to leave a review on this episode so that we can get to know you and why you listen. Also, it will help us make the podcast even better for you. Simply go to lovethepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz to pick your preferred platform. And you can follow the show by going to followthepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz. If you'd like a peek behind the curtain into how we put together this show, go to InnovaBuzz.co forward slash Flywheel, where you can access a free gift my team and I made for you a short audio program that walks you through the entire InnovaBuzz flywheel. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing and your podcast into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. Tune in again to the next episodes of the InnovaBuzz podcast, where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember... Be awesome and keep innovating.